This is GM Word of the Week, and I'm Fiddleback. Kosuth. We here at the Word of the Week, being tabletop gamers, love teamwork. And of course, when we say teamwork, we're using the Dilbert comic strip. Remember Dilbert? We're using the Dilbert managerial definition of teamwork. Teamwork, says Dilbert's pointy-haired boss, is when other people do your work for you. Man, do we love that. And so we got very excited when one of our loyal listeners, PH on the Twitters, sent us a recommendation for a word of the week and then did half the research for us. He just left us one tiny little question to fill in, one little blank to research. And so we, those of us who write the script, figured we'd have an easy time this week. Mention Galev, spew some facts about a Hungarian revolutionary, do five minutes of research to connect the revolutionary to a Forgotten Realms deity, and then get out of the office early and catch up on some video games that desperately need playing. That's when the other definition of teamwork reared its ugly head. That's the one that says, teamwork is when a whole bunch of people create a huge pile of work for one person. Yeah, we've all been on that team. Heck, it's the very definition of game mastering, isn't it? The problem is that the tiny little question Galev left unanswered turned out to be a monster, and we were staring down the barrel of another mayonnaise episode. You remember the episode which ended up with us admitting there was no good answer to the question that started the whole thing? Now, that would have been easy to do in this episode. But if there is one thing we love and hate at the same time here at the Word of the Week, it's a mystery. We just can't leave a mystery unsolved. But we're happy to say that we have an answer for you, Galev, and the rest of our listeners. It's a bit speculative, like our episode on the Cape of the Mountebank, but it is a good answer. At least it is an answer, and that's good enough for us, because we've got video games to play. This story starts with a tweet. Galeb suggested that we explore the word Kosuth, and we were prepared to reject it because it's not exactly a household gamer word. It's the name of a deity from the Forgotten Realms campaign setting originally created by Ed Greenwood. It is also the name of a famous Hungarian political hero, if you pronounce it differently, apparently. And Galeb was wondering if there was a connection between the two. Ultimately, despite the obscurity of the name, we didn't reject it for three reasons. First, we had a precedent in the episode about Ogma for exploring the connection between real-world historical and mythological figures and Forgotten Realms deities. Second, the idea of a connection was interesting. Third, we figured it'd be easy considering Galev sent us a lot of information about Hungarian history that we could paraphrase for the episode. We figured we could fill in the blanks just by looking at the deity and the historical figure, noting the similarities, and call it a day. Except we couldn't turn up an answer. But then we did. First, let's establish the context by explaining who Kosuth is to a gamer. To be honest, we didn't know. It was news to us that he even existed. And that's because he's one of the thousands and thousands of deities that form the pantheon of Toril, the world of Ed Greenwood's Forgotten Realm setting for Dungeons and Dragons. A setting which includes the continents of Faerun, Karatur, Mazdaka, and Zakara, among others. 
and we explain the history of Ed Greenwood's Forgotten Realms way back in our Ogma episode. Go back and listen to that if you want to know why it has so many gods and deities. The short answer is that Ed Greenwood started designing the world when he was eight years old and then never stopped adding details. Now technically, there is an inaccuracy in what we just said, but we'll come back to it later. It's going to be very important. Kosuth was an elemental god, well, a primordial, and that means he was actually more powerful than most of the gods. He, along with Akadi, Grumbar, and Istitia, were referred to as the cold gods of the elements because they represented primal elemental forces and didn't care one whit for mortal affairs. They were primarily worshipped not out of reverence or love or desire for protection, but out of a desire for power. And Kosuth was primarily worshipped by an organization of powerful evil wizards known as the Red Wizards of Thay. The Red Wizards were conquerors and slavers and were among the most feared of all organizations on the continent of Faerun. And the Church of Kosuth, the tyrant King of Flames, was hierarchical, tyrannical, and dedicated to the acquisition of land, power, and wealth. Kosuth has had numerous write-ups throughout the history of Dungeons & Dragons, and has appeared in official products in the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th editions of Dungeons & Dragons. The pattern seems to be that Kosuth is described in brief in the official Forgotten Realms campaign setting book for each edition, and then later detailed in a supplement that reveals more details about the gods. In third edition, he was listed as a major deity in the Forgotten Realms campaign setting in 2001, and then detailed in the Faiths and Pantheon supplement in 2002. In second edition, he was described briefly in Forgotten Realms Adventures in 1990, then mentioned in the Forgotten Realms campaign setting book in 1993, and then fully detailed in the Faiths and Avatar supplement in 1996. Originally, he was part of Ed Greenwood's initial Forgotten Realms home game, and then detailed more fully in the Manual of the Plains in 1987. Except there's an inaccuracy there, too. And we'll come back to it in a bit as well, because a lot of this story turns on the collision of several important details. Speaking of stories that turn on the collision of several things, let's talk about Hungary. Hungary is, of course, a republic in Central Europe. Its capital is Budapest, and it covers 95,000 square miles in the middle of the Pannonian Basin. Basically, that's a big old, mostly flat plain surrounded by the Carpathian Mountains and the Transylvanian Highlands. Although it's not terribly rainy, it does benefit from a lot of runoff from the mountains. And because, in the prehistoric days, it was actually covered by a shallow sea that dried up, it was left with very rich soil composed of ancient fossilized plant and marine life called loam. And so ends our reading from the Almanac. Now, the Pannonian Basin has been occupied since 5000 BCE. That's when Ice Age humans there settle down and start farming the fertile land. They also learn how to make clay and bronze tools, and then they learn how to work iron standard early civilization stuff. They called themselves the Pannons. Then, in 10 BCE, the Romans discovered the land, which they called Pannonia, after the native people, and they did what the Romans always did. They conquered it, founded towns, modernized it, all the usual build an empire kit stuff. After Rome fell, the undefended land of Pannonia was overrun by Germanic tribes. Then those people were overrun by the Avars from Central Asia. 
Then the Frankish Empire under King Charlemagne, who you probably remember from our Paladin episode, conquered the lands of Hungary in the 8th century. Then the Frankish kingdom fell apart and the Magyars moved in. It's hard to call a place your own when the landlord keeps changing. The Magyars were descendants of the northern and eastern European Finno-Ugrics, the Finns and the Estonians, and they had been hanging out in Russia making a living raiding the Frankish Empire. When the Franks collapsed, the Magyars conquered the lands of Hungary, all signed, sealed, and delivered by 900 CE. And basically, it's around this point that Hungary was officially founded, and the Magyar tribe came to dominate Hungary to such a degree that ethnic Hungarians often refer to themselves as Magyars. Now, the early Hungarian Magyars were pretty tribal. They continued to survive by raiding the lands of the Holy Roman Empire. But in the 10th century, they suffered a series of crushing defeats by armies under the command of Holy Roman Emperor Otto the Great, first of his name. That's when Prince Giza of the Magyars thought it might be a good idea to unite the people of Hungary into some sort of cooperative group. He invited missionaries from the Holy Roman Empire and started building a network of castles and defensive structures across the country. His son, St. Stephen, finished his father's work, brought Christianity to the nation, and unified the Magyar tribes. After Stephen died, there were a series of succession skirmishes and it took another powerful ruler, Laszlo I, to restore unity. Laszlo built a new administration modeled on the Byzantine Empire. That's when Hungary truly began to flourish. Hungary enjoyed a population explosion due to an influx of German and Romani immigrants, but that prosperity wouldn't last long. More invasions were coming, and political chaos would follow. First, the Mongols invaded and left a smoking ruin when they eventually withdrew. Hungary rebuilt, and when gold was discovered in 1300, it prospered again. Then, the Islamic Turks of the Ottoman Empire destroyed the Byzantine capital of Constantinople and invaded Europe which effectively broke Hungary into three parts. The Ottoman Turks conquered and occupied central Hungary directly. They also established the Principality of Transylvania under their indirect control in eastern Hungary. Meanwhile, western Hungary gradually fell under the control of the Habsburgs, the ruling family of Austria. When the Turks started to lose their grip on Hungary in the early 1700s, the Habsburgs drove them out. And they ended up in control of Hungary almost entirely. The Hungarians who by now were probably quite tired of having to change the letterhead every century or so, weren't happy with this arrangement and rebelled against the Habsburgs. The revolutionaries were crushed by the Habsburg army in 1708, and then in 1711 an agreement was reached whereby Hungary would be ruled by a Diet, a national council, with the oversight of the Austrian crown. And that sets the stage for Loyos Kossuth to enter the scene. Hungary was a mess at this point. It was still almost an entirely agricultural nation, and most of the people still lived basically as serfs. The Diet ruled as best they could, but they were under the thumb of the Austrian Empire. The Magyars, not unreasonably, wanted to be free of foreign rule. The Germans, Romani, and other ethnic minorities, also not unreasonably, wanted to be free of the Magyars. The country had been devastated under Turkish rule. And, just to make sure no one was really happy with anyone else, the Protestant Reformation and Catholic Counter-Reformation that had rocked Europe had left deep religious divisions among the people. And it was in this state that Loyos Kossuth was born to the noble house of Kossuth. Loyos started out working for his lawyer father, 
As a result of his work representing one of his father's clients, the Countess Andrassy, he was appointed to the National Diet of Hungary, and he began to speak out and write against Austrian rule. It was then that he realized his skills as a moving orator and as a journalist. Much of his early writings took the form of political pamphlets disguised as journalist reports of the Diet's proceedings. Because of the peace accord with Austria, he was untouchable as long as he served on the Diet. But when his limited term was up, he was arrested for subversion and imprisoned for three years. After his release, he found he was something of a popular hero among the Magyars of Hungary. And he worked for a time as a journalist, stirring the pot further. The Austrian authorities continued to watch him warily as he gained popularity, but his outspoken attitude also gained him enemies among the ethnic minorities of Hungary. Ultimately, he was dismissed from his job as a journalist for being too inflammatory. And the story would have ended there if not for the fact that he was so popular among the Hungarian Magyars that he was elected to serve again on the National Diet in 1847. And he continued to agitate for Hungary to fight for its freedom from the control of the Austrian Habsburgs. Then, in February of 1848, Europe came down with a serious case of revolution. See, Europe was still basically being ruled by its various hereditary monarchies, just as it had been for hundreds of years. Fifty years prior, France had tried to overthrow the monarchical system in the famous French Revolution. They had been inspired by an upstart little nation across the Atlantic Ocean who had thrown off the shackles of mercantile British rule and started this crazy democracy thing. But the revolution didn't last. So France ended up a monarchy again. However, the monarchy was on borrowed time. See, except in Germany, the old monarchies were sort of petering out. They weren't dominated by strong galvanizing figures as they had been, and uprisings were becoming more common. One hit Paris in 1848, and it was followed by others in Italy, Denmark, and other places across Europe. And Lajos Kossuth convinced the Hungarian Diet that it was time for their uprising. Unfortunately, it wasn't quite time for any of those revolutions. If only they all could have waited a little less than a century, all of the great monarchies of Europe would collapse once and for all when another group of revolutionaries bumped off an Austrian archduke and Europe collapsed into war. However, Hungary did rebel, and they managed to beat back the Austrian army for a time. But then the Austrians tagged in their buddies in Russia. For a period of about a year, Loyos was the governor of the independent Hungarian government. And then the joint attack came, and the Hungarian war for independence was crushed, and Loyos Kossuth was forced to flee the country. But his spirit remained in Hungary. The people continued to resist Austrian rule. And with chaos and war descending over Europe, the Austrian Empire couldn't afford any weakness. So in 1867, Austria-Hungary became a joint monarchy though it would not survive World War I in that form. Hungary would continue to face occupation by foreign forces for a long time to come, until they finally ousted Soviet rule, ended communism, and established free parliamentary elections. But that's not a part of this story. Lajos Kossuth was a national hero of Hungary. In fact, the revolution of 1848 and his part in it are celebrated as a national holiday on March 15th. So wish your favorite Hungarian a happy March 15th right now. You're only a few days late. 
But what does any of this have to do with the primordial tyrant king of fire? Literally nothing. There's absolutely no connection between Kosuth the deity and Loyosh Koshut of Hungary. Or at least, that's what we thought as we researched the history of the deity and the history of pretty much all of Hungary. Except that, as we said, this story turns on the collision of lots of little details. Loyosh Koshut arose at a time when every aspect of Hungarian history back to the earliest days was contributing to the chaos of the day. And meanwhile, the god Kosuth ended up with his name thanks to the collision of a whole bunch of weirdly unrelated elements. And interestingly, the proximate cause of both was France. Kosuth wasn't named Kosuth at first, and he wasn't even created by Ed Greenwood. Ed Greenwood took his Elder God of Fire from a D&D supplement called Deities and Demigods, written for the first edition of D&D by James M. Ward and Robert J. Kuntz. And the god was originally named Kakatal. But there was a problem with that name, one that Greenwood himself identified in a column in Dragon Magazine issue number 24. See, Deities and Demigods was a collection of statistics for divine beings taken from various real-world mythologies and also from various fantasy worlds published by other authors. Kakatal was the elemental god of fire from the world of Melnabone. Don't recognize that? Well, Melnabone, also known as Dragon Isle, was the home of Elric, the protagonist of Michael Moorcock's Elric series that was published throughout the 1960s. Kakatal was stolen property. And Greenwood, in that article, said that he would eventually get replaced with a unique and official Dungeons & Dragons deity, just as soon as one was written. Greenwood didn't create or name Kosuth. He took Kakatal from a D&D supplement that stole him from a fantasy book series. So who gave Kosuth his new, non-copyright infringing name? Well, it's the same person who actually named the planet Toril. That wasn't Ed Greenwood either. Ed Greenwood created the continent of Faerun in the Forgotten Realms, but it was another gamer who stuck it on a planet called Toril. And that person was game designer Jeff Grubb. And as we mentioned in our episode Cosmos, Jeff Grubb got the job of bringing the whole D&D universe together, unifying it all and creating one solid cosmology. And he did that in the 1987 book Manual of the Plains. In that book, he renamed Kakatal to Kosuth. So Jeff Grubb is the one who gave the fire god the name of a Hungarian national hero. That doesn't get us anywhere, does it? After all, the question remains, what does Kosuth have to do with Koshut? Well, we can't say definitively with 100% certainty what the answer is, but we're ready to hazard a guess based on a coincidence that is just too coincidental to be a coincidence. The reason is the American Revolutionary War. What you have to understand is that the plight of Loyos Kosciut did not go unnoticed in the rest of the world. After he was forced to flee Hungary, both the Russians and the Austrians were trying to get him extradited so they could try him as a revolutionary. And he ended up hiding in Turkey, but the Sultan of Turkey couldn't decide whether to hand him over to the Austrians or the Russians. And there was another place in the world that saw him as a hero who took a stand for democracy. The United States of America the U.S. government sent a frigate, the Mississippi, to extract Loyosh Kosciut from Turkey before he could be extradited. 
That was in 1851. By then, he was being referred to as the George Washington of Hungary. And America was on board with the whole collapse of monarchies in Europe thing. The growing chaos in Europe was of increasing concern to the U.S. government, and they wanted to support democracy as much as possible across the world. So Loyos Koshut was welcomed as a hero. He toured the United States and later England as well, and he gained great renown for his oratory skills. He became more moderate after leaving Europe. He continued to support democracy and national sovereignty for all nations, but he also became a more ardent supporter of minority rights. He was so popular that the great orator Daniel Webster cited him as a hero, and a bust of Lois Koshut resides in the U.S. Capitol. Now he's a national hero in Hungary, and almost every town in Hungary has a Koshut street somewhere, at least according to our Hungarian friend. But there are also a fair few Koshut streets in Koshut counties in the United States as well, all of which appear to have been named between 1855 and 1870. That's when Loyosh was doing his lecture tour. And that's not the first time geographical features were named after heroes of democracy from other countries. For example, consider the city of Lafayette, Indiana. It's named after Gilbert de Motier, the Marquis de Lafayette. When he heard of the uprising in the British colonies in the Americas in the late 1700s, he volunteered to help the rebels. He became a friend and confidant of George Washington and an important military leader in the American Revolution. He is remembered as a great hero of the fight for American independence. Of course, the American Revolution helped galvanize the aforementioned French Revolution, which led to the Paris Uprising in 1848, which inspired the Hungarian Revolution of 1848 which led Leos Kosciut to be welcomed to America as the George Washington of Hungary. But what does that have to do with Jeff Grubb? Well, do you know what's in Lafayette, Indiana? First, there's a pretty prominent Kosciut Street. Second, about a mile away from Kosciut Street is Purdue University, where Jeff Grubb went to college. And we're willing to bet that when Grubb had to rename Kakatal, while writing the Manual of the Plains. He either remembered the name of a street where he'd maybe hung out during his college days, or else the name came to him and he didn't know he was remembering it. And that is our guess for how Kosuth got named after a Hungarian revolutionary. Either that or Jeff Grubb is really into European history himself. Either way, we're calling it settled. Because we've got video games to play. This has been GM Word of the Week. It's written and researched by the Angry GM and produced by me, Fiddleback. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gmwordoftheweek. You can find more at gmwordoftheweek.com and theangrygm.com. 